You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Well, it's such a privilege to have you here today and uh, just to be able to have a corridor and uh, just, just hear a little bit about your journey. So, uh, Ronnie, would you start by telling us about your family? Thanks, yeah. Pastor Mike. It's great to be here. I'm um, great to be here at Elam. Um, and it's always wonderful. So great to be here amongst you all here, especially in Tanifa country. At this particular time of the season as well, as we're moving towards a Rugby World Cup, and I suppose uh, we're really excited too, of course, with, with uh, the All Blacks um, going to, uh, what must be their fourth title? So it's, uh, it's going to be awesome. And of course, with Caleb over there, it makes it even more personal for me as well. So for me, I've, uh, I've, I just want to introduce my family that are here this morning. I'm here with, I'm married, amazingly, almost for 30 years to Ciala. And Ciala's here this morning. Um, we have four. Cho- we have one girl and four children. Our eldest girl, Shekinah, she's a missionary currently at the moment, serving currently right now, and she's in South Africa in Cape Town. And um, she's been with she's with YWAM. Um, she's been with YWAM now for about four years. So we're really blessed to have her. We named her Shekinah for that very thing. She's the the light glory of God. Um, and then our four boys. Um, EJ drove up this morning. Ronnie Jr., our oldest son, he's here this morning with us as well. Ronnie Jr. and then Caleb, um, and then of course the ten-year gap. <laughs> We've got two more boys, is Jaira and Zion. So we're really blessed to have them. Really, really awesome too. Fantastic. So when did you get your love for rugby? You know, playing for the All Blacks must have been a, a dream come true. But uh, how did that all start? And you know, did your father kind of inspire you in, into that? It was quite an amazing thing. Actually, my father has a history of rugby as well. He played for the Manu Samoa. They won the Rugby World, oh, the rugby World Cup. They won the South, well, it probably was the, well, the World Cup where they were in the South Pacific. And they won the South Pacific Championship there. But it was always, I remember as a seven-year-old boy, we were watching TV. My father got us in. We were living um, in, a, in, in Oweraka in Auckland. And my dad sat my brother and I down. We were about, I was seven. And it was a, quite an excitement in the house as my father said, boys, today... We're watching the All Blacks. And so as we sat down, I've never watched a rugby game. I didn't know what it was. But there we were sitting, watching on TV as the All Blacks ran out onto the field. Now, they played. The, the amazing thing about that day was as I'm watching, the All Blacks ran out onto this paddock, which was absolutely flooded. And as the opposition ran out, there, see that Scotland running out. They ran out onto the field. And as they started, it was amazing. I was captivated as they were diving into the water, Pastor Mike, running all over the place. And then Dad said, son, watch the number 11. The number 11 was Brian Williams. And he was the, what, he was the, the Julian Salvier. He was the Jonah Lomu of the day. And he yeah, scored. Clark. <laughs> well, he scored a couple of tries in that game. And I was just captivated. And I turned to my dad and I said, Dad. How do you become an all black? And my father, he paused, he folded his arms, he looked at me and he said, son, you have to be brainy. And I thought, whoa, wow. <laughs> but, the, um, but the reality of the moment was for me was, well, that's where the dream started. A seven-year-old boy born in the islands could perhaps consider playing for the greatest team in the world, the all blacks. And so that's where that dream started for me. And I remember going on from there and having this love and having this desire to play. And I remember I went on and I played at high school, but we weren't a very strong rugby school back in those days. But yet I still had the desire. I finished playing rugby. And I remember sitting up on Mount Eden one day, and I remember standing there and I said to God, I said, God, 
I want to do something great for you in this city and in this nation. And wherever else you send me, God, I, I, I don't know what you want me to do. And so I remember in that moment, and you, you know the, the story of, of Moses in the, in the backside of the desert. And of course, he's looking for that one lost sheep. And as he goes down and he's, he's having that, he goes into the, into the cave, into the burning bush. He's having this conversation with God as he begins to realize. And God asks him, which I love that, which I love this part. He goes, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. But Moses says, well, who am I to go? But then God keeps telling him, I want you to go. And then he says to him, Moses, what's in your hand? Yeah. And so for me, it was as I realized in that same moment that God, as I'm standing on Mount Eden, I'm saying to God, God, I want to do something great for you in this city and in this nation and wherever else you would send me. And then God, in that same way, asking me as he asked Moses, well, Aroni, what's in your hand? And as I can think about, well, what's in our hand is our gift and our talents. As it says in James 1, that every good and perfect gift comes from him. And so in that moment, God is asking me, well, what's in your hand? And I said, God, I've got this dream and this desire and this ability to play rugby. And then God says, I'm going to take what's in your hand, son, and answer what's in your heart. If you want to do something great for me in this city and in this nation, I'm going to use what's in your hand. And so that's where it continued on. It was fueled even more so. And I I think about one of the scriptures, I got Psalm 37 verse 4, seek your happiness in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. And so for me, it just kept on flaming from there. So. Amazing, amazing. You've uh, obviously alluded to your, your faith in God and your relationship with him. W- when did God become real to you? At what point in your life? Nice, great question. Uh, typically, as a young Polynesian boy, we grew up in the church and yet it was a very religious experience, very head knowledge um, really, for me, this is my own experience. What I do thank God for, we went to a Pacific Island church, and of course, every Sunday, without fail, whatever you were doing, and I remember at that time I was in high school, and you know, you're thinking about life, you're thinking about things, and for me, was one of the things I was certainly thinking about was thinking about God, and whether God played any significance, whether he had any, one most important thing was, was he even real? Because I would go to church every Sunday, Pastor Mike, and I'd be sitting at the back, and I'd be asking that God, and as I'm listening to the, looking to the, at, our, at, our, at our minister speaking and preaching, I'm asking this, man, God, are you real? Are you, are you real? Can you, can you see me? Can you hear me? If, you can, if you're real, you've, you've got to do something quick because I was, at, as a teenager, I, 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 one thing I just wanted to do was I wanted to, do, I wanted to try life. I wanted to do things, and a lot of things were happening to me, and I was, you know, as you do. And, and so I remember... One Friday night, I went down to Henderson Square, as it was back in those days. And there was a group of people that were singing in the street corner, Pastor Mike. And they'd be singing on their street corner, and I'd make sure that I'd stay really far away from them. <laughs> so I'd be walking on the other side of the street. One Friday night, I must have got too close to them. One of them stopped and asked me, excuse me, do you know the Lord? And I said, yeah, of course, I, yeah, 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 hey. I, I go to church, you know, every Sunday I go to church, and really, and as, as we started to talk, he said to me, you know, that's great, you've got the head knowledge of God, but one thing that you've never, ever asked him to do was to come into your life and be Lord and Savior of your life, and that hit me, because all the time that I was going to church, I realized for me, I was really going to church to make my parents happy. There was no real experience for me of realizing who God was and really understanding what he wanted for me because I didn't never ask him into my life. 
I just thought I'd just go into church just to listen and hear. And he gave me a track that night. And as I went home and I read through the track, and as I began to realize even more that there was a God that he didn't just want to know who I am. I think one of the more important things was for me, he wanted a personal relationship with me. And so that night I read through this, 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 this sinner's prayer and on my knees I gave my heart to the Lord in the quietness of my room. And so that's where the journey, that's where it started for me as, as a 16-year-old out in West Auckland in the quietness of my room that I opened my heart to the Lord and asked him to be Lord and Savior of my life. Yeah. Amazing. So good. Isn't that awesome? So amazing. In fact, um, I know we've got a lot of, lot of children and young people in here, and, and, and at the end of the service, we're actually going to give an opportunity for, for anybody who maybe hasn't yet said yes to Jesus to be Lord of their life. And so maybe you're even hearing this today thinking, oh, maybe, maybe that's me. Maybe this is my day today. So it would be our privilege to pray with you at the end of the service. Uh, so it is Father's Day. Um, what is the best part for you of being a father? I think we've heard kind of just a bit of a glimpse of it on the video there. My, I suppose my, the best thing about being a father, um, and especially to my sons and my daughter, is ensuring that one, that they have Jesus, that they've accepted Jesus in their heart. Because you, you, we've brought them to church all their lives. They've been in the church all their lives. But yet there had to be a point in their lives where they said yes to their Jesus, that they weren't leaning on mum and dad's faith that they were leaning on their own faith and trust in God. And then the next thing for us was really important was that they were, they, they, they were, they were living out their God-given purpose um, with their talents and their gifts. We started to see the giftings as they started to grow and we started to see some of the giftings. Um, EJ, EJ is amazing. He's a worshiper. He worships at church. So we've seen him as he begins, as a young kid, begin to really thrive in his music. He's an athlete as well. And of course, and then we've seen Jaira and Zion very similarly. But as you see, with, even with Shekinah, that they all had this, these abilities and gifts and talents. But the most important thing for Ciara and I was that they were using their gifts to bring to give glory to God. They were using their gifts for the purpose that God designed them for. And so it's been amazing to see Shekinah living out her heart and the gift of their talents as a missionary, EJ worshiping. That Caleb understands that that's the mission field that God has called him to in sports. And as Jaira and Zion, my 14 and 12-year-old, are starting to experience, and I'm starting to see the giftings that they have, that as parents and as a father, that I can continue to, with Siala, foster those giftings, that they understand these are your gifts from God. Use them to give Him glory. Use them to reach out to the lost. And so that's, I think, one of the best things for me that I've really been blessed by, particularly as I see the older ones move in their giftings. And so it's been, that's been a real blessing to me, also to the body of Christ, but also to the world as well. Amazing, amazing. Now, obviously, there are best and worst parts of being a father. <laughs> What are some of the worst or what are the hardest parts? Uh, not the worst, but the hardest part sure. of being a father. Yeah, I suppose one of the hardest things, even as a dad sometimes, is that sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we make mistakes. Or not sometimes, probably a few more than that, hey guys? <laughs> but I think one of the things that I've really learned was that when I have done wrong, and as a father, especially to my kids, is saying sorry to them. And that I've had to swallow my pride um, yeah, even as a father too, and say that I was wrong. And so that was one of the things that I really realized that I had to do. The second one is the thing for me that's been really hard, Pastor Mike, has been those moments and times where you just realize there is nothing physically that you can do for your children but pray 
um, before the second season of Super Rugby was about to begin, Siala was about to have um, uh, our second child. And um, and at that time, we were just prepared, as I say, we were preparing to move into a second season of Super Rugby. Rugby was professional. Everyone was really excited about the way rugby was going. But then Siala EJ was born. Our oldest son was born. But the one thing that we didn't realize through that whole time that Siala was carrying EJ was that the doctors told us the next day was that, sorry, your son has a gentle heart defect. And he has something that is very rare. There's only one other child in New Zealand that has, his, has what he has. And so we didn't know right in that moment whether we were, our son was going to live or God was going to take him or what it was. And so at that moment, I, we, the, one of the things as typically often that we can do is cry out to God, God, why? Why me? Why now? Why does it have to be to my family? And I think it was really easy. And I remember at that time as Ciara and I were in that, in, that, in that ward, as I'm crying out to God, God in his way that he does, said to me, son, ask me not why. Ask me the right question. Ask me what. And as I sat there and I said, what? I said, oh, God, what do you want me to do? As I completely surrendered to God because I realized there is nothing else we could do for our son. We were in the ward we, we didn't know, they told us in seven days he's going to need major heart surgery. And we had no idea whether we were going to have a son. And we didn't know he was going to live or die or what. And so at that time, we, as God, I was asking God, God, well, well, what do you want me to do? And God said, look, Ronnie, look around you. And as I began to look around the ward, I began to see the hopelessness. I began to see <coughs> the young families that were it's just you could see despair, hopelessness was all over their faces, was all over there as they were holding their child. And as I began to understand, okay, God, I know what you want me to do. And as a, excuse me, sorry. And as I got up, as I realized, God, what do you want me to do? And God said, go, go through the ward. And so as I got up and I said to Siala, Siala, I'm going to go and see the other parents. And she said, Okay, and so as I began to talk to the other parents and talk to them, they go, oh, Ronnie Clark, what, what are you doing here? And as we can tell them, I've got a son here as well. And, and so we were able to sit down and began to share and talk about our children and talk about our child that was there. And then I would stop and I would ask them, can I pray for your son? Can I pray for your daughter? And they would look and they said, yes, please. I don't know whether they were believers, but they just said, please, could you please pray? And so I would sit there and I would pray with each child. I would pray with them as parents. And so I would walk around the ward. And as I realized, as God was beginning to, to show me, not why, son, ask me what. And so as I began to do that more and move throughout, as I realized Romans 8, 28 tells us that God works all things together for good. So I totally surrendered that to God. All right, God. All right, you're taking care of EJ. I'm going to go and do what you, you've told me to do and be obedient. And so I think for me, that was one of the greatest things. Now, EJ's 25 years old. He's sitting here this morning. And um, so I praise God. That's, so I think those are probably one for me, one of the hardest times as a father and as no doubt as a mother as well for Siala um, that we did as a family. What I do remember was the, um, the, the surgeon was a 
was was a, a, a he was he must have been about two hundred years old. Uh, <laughs> and I remember seeing him walking over, and I thought the, he was walking slowly, and I thought, oh no. <laughs> Lord, please. And so I, but what I heard and what I was told was he was the best. And the beautiful thing about it was, was that because I was the, the heart cry of our family, the heart cry of all of us was that God would give EJ the best surgeon, the best care, the best supports. And this surgeon, he was the best, one of the best in the world. Um, Dr. Alan Kerr, he's long since retired, but he's, he was amazing. And um, yeah, and so as I say, EJ's here and that God does answer prayer. He does work all things together for good. Yeah. I think it's so good. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so awesome. <laughs> I think that realization that you came to where you moved from the, the why, because we're, we're probably, many of us are in the middle of a why moment, even right now, why, and we're probably asking those questions right now, but if we could turn those around as a, as a what, God, what, what do you want me to learn? How do you want me to grow? Um, it doesn't make the problem disappear, but it helps us to re-engage with God um, to allow us to be a part of that solution as well. So that's fantastic. Um, have you ever had to make that difficult choice between family and, and rugby? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I mean, there have been even moments and times where I was challenged myself, where rugby even, like my gift and my talent became an idol as well. And God certainly took me to, uh, to task with that. And I, I thank God for that. <laughs> but one of the, I remember one time though that I was probably, you know, I, it's amazing at this point of time where we're just about to start the Rugby World Cup. Now, I've never, ever been to a Rugby World Cup. I've never had, I was either injured or I didn't get selected. So it was one of those things I've always put in the back pocket that I've asked, I'll ask God when I'm. <laughs> but one of the things that was, I remember at that time, though, was I was now getting older. And, um, but every year, I, would, I knew if I get my body right and prepare for the season, Anything could happen. God could make things happen. Because if he can make it happen for Abraham, he can make it happen for me, even at my older age as I get on. And so, so I remember at that time, um, as, a, as the season started, I went away on a camp with Shekinah, our, our daughter. She was 10 years old then. And I remember at the time as we are at the camp, and we're sitting in, in the evening as, a parent, as the kids are put to, were put to bed, and the, us as parents, we're, we're talking. And one of the parents turned and said, when that boy Davey turns 16 or 15 years old, I'm kicking him out of home. And I thought, ooh, ooh, geez, okay. And then one of the other mothers said, yes, when Susie turns 15, I'm, I'm sure Susie, she's going to be leaving home. And I sat there and I thought, wow, Shekinah is 10 years old. And if I only have five or six years left to be able to instill in Shekinah the what a what a, how a, a man should how a male should treat her how how she should be blessed and how should she, you know to, to instill in her the, the the God principles and all the things that I wanted to as a father if I only had five years I I realized oh my goodness I've got to make these the best years but then but then I said but wait wait wait, wait. I, I want to go to a rugby World Cup I want to I want to score the winning try I want to win it for the for New Zealand and but and then I went but if I only had five or six years left with my daughter. <laughs> And so I was sitting in the middle of, of the bush on a school camp with this decision making process. And, and I'm thinking, my hopes, my dreams, my, my daughter, my children. And as I sat there for that moment and I realized what was the most important to me. And I realized 
it was my children. And what I really wanted to be was a cheerleader for my children. And so in that moment, right then, I chose my children. I said, goodbye (laughs) to my aspirations and dreams of wanting to play and win in a World Cup. As I realized, this is what I want to do. I want to be there for my kids. I want to be a cheerleader for my children. And so that's what I did. And in that moment, rugby left me. And I got on the phone to Ciala in the middle of the bush out where I was. And said, Ciala, I've got something to tell you. She said, what is it? What is it? And I said, I'm, I'm, and I burst into tears. And I said, I'm ready to finish. And she said, wow, what's God telling you? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> but my heart's telling me, I'm ready to finish. And so it was an instant. My Rugby had the passion, the love that, that had been with me since I was a seven-year-old kid with that dream had left me in that moment as I realized this is what I really want to do from now on is instill in my kids. And so that, that since from that time, I'd been a cheerleader for my children. And so that's, that was it. And now in your profession, you are a cheerleader for the <laughs> next generation. Could you tell us a little bit about your your role and what you do now? I I work for New Zealand Rugby. I'm the Pacific Engagement Manager for New Zealand Rugby, and so um, it's and it's which is really quite exciting um, now that I get to really help to create more culturally culturally responsive environments to help um, Pacific um, one to flourish, but also to help our rugby community understand Pacific as well. And so it's really quite an exciting role. I'm still trying to work out how I can get that role to fly me to the World Cup for free. That's the only thing. <laughs> <laughs> and on the other tours, wherever they go to as well. Are there any key values that you've just tried to instill over years into your own children? What, what, what are the things that matter most to you that you would pass on to the next generation? Yeah, um, one of them was certainly um, really the, the value of prayer was really important. Um, I, I, one of the things that was, and scripture, so God's word was really important for us to instill in our, our children. And so one of the things that we would always do is continue to, to, to take them through scriptures, um, commit them to, to memory. So those are really, getting God's word into them is really, really important. Prayer, I think there was, for me, there was prayer. There was also um, the valley. There was one more thing I remember just talking about. There was prayer. Yes, that's right. One of them was also to the value of knowing who you are, who you are in God, the truth of who you are. Because the world will often tell you who they think that you are, whether you're, gee, you're useless. Gosh, you're no good. Oh, yeah, you're this, you're that, and the other. I remember when my first year with Auckland Rugby, we had all of these aging great All Blacks that were still playing. And the thing that I was, I remember my first game, that as I was so excited as a young young man, I, I walked into the into the changing room, picked up the, the, the program, and I saw my name in there. You're Ronnie Clark, I'm playing on the wing. Woo-hoo-hoo. And look, whoa, Joe Stanley, John Kerr, and Terry Wright, whoa, are there too. And I was really excited. Sean Fitzpatrick, wow, Gary Whitton, Alan Whitton, whoa. And there I was, and I thought, now look next to all of their names. Wow, look, all 50 tests for the All Blacks. All of them had played for the All Blacks. And I looked, we were playing Queensland that day. And I looked over the Queensland team, and I went, whoa, look, Michael Liner's playing. Oh, my goodness. Wow, look at these amazing. And the one thing I did notice was the number of games that they played for Australia. They had all played for the Wallabies. And then I looked back at my, my uh, the Auckland program, and I looked next to all of our Auckland names, and there's all these All Blacks. And I looked next to my name, Pastor Mike. There was nothing. There was no New Zealand schoolboys, no New Zealand under-20s. There was nothing. And right in that moment, whoa, the enemy jumped on me and said, you're not supposed to be here. 
Who do you think you are being amongst these greats? You don't belong here. And as I'm sitting there right in that moment, I just cry out to God. I said, ah, Lord, help me. And as, and as the, what began to happen right in that moment as I cried out to God, all of a sudden, Philippians 4.13 dropped into my spirit. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. First John 4 came into there that I greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And then Romans 8 uh, came into me as well. And they said that if God is for me, who can be against me? And all of a sudden, Pastor Mike, that whole, just my whole, pers- my whole perspective of who I was changed as I began to realize the truth of who I am is in God and what God says about me. Because he never changes, Amen. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever as I began to realize in his word is truth. This is who I am. And so that's the one thing that I've always really tried to instill in my children is asking them, remember, when the world or the enemy starts to come at you, ask one thing, is that the truth? No. If it's not the truth, then begin to fill your heart, your spirit, your mind with God's word. So that's probably one of the more values that I've really tried to instill. All right, in the, in the crowd here, how many have got uh, preschool children? Currently, give us a wave if you can get your hands up high enough. Fantastic. What advice would you give to our young dads <laughs> or dads with young kids? Uh, I, I think for me, there's some, some real key things around just, I suppose, was really one of them is that with, is time. Time is the, probably one of the key things, particularly in those preschool age. And you know what's been amazing for me about that, that age group as well, and those preschoolers, and especially as they move up before their teens, their preteens as well, is that they do, sp- you know, how do they spell, is it? How do they spell, how do they spell love? T-I-M-E. And as I began to understand that, because they watch what you do, not by just what you say, they watch what you do all the time as a father. And so, funny, we were watching this video this morning um, of, of, we were renovating at home, and there was Zion, <laughs> I think Zion was about, not even one or two, and um, I'm, I'm painting the walls, and EJ's in there too, we're painting the walls, and Zion's saying, Dad, Daddy, 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 let me. And so, of course, again, he's emulating what his father was doing as he realized, okay, I wanted to do it as well. And as I realized, yeah, there's that truth. They watch us, everything that we do. Um, and so they watch us, they emulate us. As we watch and we emulate what God is doing with us and what it's the same that I realized as a father, even at that age, that they watch what we do and they do what we what we do. So we have to be really mindful. One, time is really important with them. Secondly, as well, is is really saying is watching what we do. And then of course that that's it's true God's word that to raise them up. Raise them up. Raise them up in the Lord. And I think that's really, really important because they won't depart from it when they're older. And so we're we're really seeing the the fruits of that through our older kids. Um, our older children, so it's really been amazing. So those are some awesome. things there. Okay, how many uh, parents of teenagers? Give us a wave. All right. Any advice for for, for dads raising teenagers? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just hold on, hold on. <laughs> Let them go. <laughs> I think that's one of the, the real key things I've, I've mentioned before is that you know we you know we we move our how our roles move through time. Um, as the, I, I wouldn't say, the, not the, the, the dictator mentality as they're really young is what we do, what do what I do. But certainly as I began to realize that they, as they get older, you kind of move into a more of a facilitator almost. You're working in partnership with them as well. 
And so it really is starting to, as they're starting to grow, is allowing them that space to be able to grow. One of the other things too that I've learned is don't sweat the small stuff. I heard that as, as, as my, the older ones were becoming teenagers, don't sweat the small stuff. And I thought, don't sweat the small stuff. Man, I'm going to make sure that they do this. And, they, and then I realized, wow, that's so true. And especially as Jaira and Zion are approaching their teens, they're in their teens, especially Jaira, as I realized, yeah, I get what it means now. Don't sweat the small stuff. The stuff that you, that really sometimes you think, oh no, I can't believe it. You know, it was something really small, like spilling the something, you know. And I realized, oh my goodness, what? Settle down, ogre. (laughs) Settle down. Uh, I think those sort of things are really important. I think that's already said before. You know, when, when you, when you, two more things. The first one is, when you're wrong, admit to them and show them that you're sorry. I think that's one of the, and it's a hard thing for us, often sometimes for us. That's really, I've seen that and I've counted, when I'm wrong, I'll say, I'm sorry, son, man, dad was a real idiot there. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. And then the second thing was, is uh, I made sure when I dropped them off, I love you. <laughs> love you, son. Love you, Shekinah. EJ, love you, love you. And the reason why is because it's funny the things that we stop saying when they're getting older. And sometimes, and you know, some, when they're getting in those teens that they're like, man, that kid just really gets me going, you know. But I realize even, even as that love is not just a, it's an emotion. Love is also what we do. Love is, uh, we know what, what, what the word says about love. So I wanted to remind my children. I wanted them to hear their father say to them, I love you. So when, when they go through those challenging times as teenagers, those growing pain times as, as, as teenagers, they'll always know, and they'll always, because they've heard their father say to them, I love you, I love you. When you don't feel like saying it, I love you. And it's not because that I don't feel, I, or that, but because it's true. It's true. You, you love your kids. And so even when you don't feel like saying it, love you, son. Love you, love you Shekinah. Because it reminds them. It just, it sows them. The other thing too, one was speak life. Yeah. Speak life. Speak life to your kids. Um, um, uh, you know, prophesy over them. You know, just, you know, God's going to take you, son. He's going to take you to places where I've never been to. You're going to, Shekinah, you're going to, and just really speak life over them. I think those are probably the real key things I would say, particularly to our, to our teenage parents. Awesome, awesome. Now, professional sport is a, a, a testing ground for character. Mm. You know, when you get in that environment of competition, trying to be the best, trying to make the team, you know, trying to make the cut. Um, what did you learn and, and, and what advice would you give, you know, in, in, in that journey of, I guess, going from a boy to a man, you know, that, that, that journey of for our young teenagers? Yeah. Yeah. Sport is such a microcosm of life. Um, it certainly is. And um, it, was, it was certainly for me. I remember in that first year of, of playing for Auckland, at training, they're always, and Graham Henry was the coach at that time. He would introduce a new style of training. This training today, team, we are going to tackle each other. So <laughs> it was so easier before then. Anyway, now he's got us training. We're playing in these rugby scrimmages, and we'd split into two teams. And we'd split into two teams. There was, Pastor Mike, there was always this one guy, and he was on the, other, on the opposition. Sure enough, every time. And if they had the ball, he would look, scan, see me, and run straight at me. 
And I remember when I had the ball, he would be right there in my face, ready to smash me over. I don't know whether it was like some initiation processes of into the Auckland team, but this guy was doing it. And after three months of this, I was running out of love for this guy really, really quickly. And I was saying to God, God, you've got to do something because I know you love him, but I'm running out of love for him real quick. We're down in Timaru. We're preparing for a Ranfilly Shield game. And um, we split into two teams. That guy was on the other team. He had the ball, looked around, saw me, ran straight at me. And I said, that's it. Bring it on. And I ran straight at him. We collided. I went flying back. He went flying back. We both fell on the ground. I quickly got up, and I was standing over him. And everything in me, I wanted to stand on him and punch him. And it's not even in my nature. And uh, you know, well, d- d- didn't Michael Jones say it's better to give, give than that to receive? receive yeah. Amen. <laughs> and so, and so, this guy, I'm standing over this guy, and instead of holding my fist out to him, I reach out my hand and I help him up. Now, fast forward 15 years later, I'm no longer in the Blues team, and, the, and this guy becomes the manager of the Blues team. And I get a phone call from him, and he said, Ronnie, like, we need you. Come down to the park. Can you, you know, get ready, and I'll meet you there. So I turn up to Eden Park. He's there to meet me, first guy. And he goes, he says to me, Ronnie, everything, anything, anything or everything that you need, you come to me. I'm going to look after you. And, you know, my mind went back to that time, back in Timaru, 15 years before earlier, where I was standing over the sky, and instead of reaching out my fist to him, I helped him up as I really realized, wow, how different our relationship would have been if I had stomped all over him and punched him. But I reached out. And you know, it's that acting in the opposite spirit. Everything that you want to do is this, but you realize you act in the opposite spirit as God teaches us to do, and you help him up. And so it was different. So now I'm really standing there. Anything you want, man, look, you just come to me. I'll look after you. And so this guy was none other than Sean Fitzpatrick. <laughs> and I, I just really wanted to, because I know that there's going to be people in our lives that God didn't, the amazing thing too, Pastor Mike, God didn't change Fitzy. He changed me. Yeah. And I'm crying out to God, you got to do something, God. God changed me. And so he worked on me. And it's the amazing thing. Romans 5, I love that scripture in Romans 5. It says that, for we joy in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces character. And character, hope. Uh, Produces perseverance, perseverance, character. And character, hope. And as I realize, as I, as I meditate on that word, God wants us to be people of, his people of, with steel in our backs. He wants us to be people of good character and hope and that. So I realize, oh, okay, Lord, you allow the fit season in our lives so that we can continue to be stronger in you and understand you better. So, yeah, those are. Amazing, amazing. What a cool story. <laughs> um, just la- last question, and I suppose uh, to take us out from here, the times you wanted to quit. The times that, you know, even as a husband and as a father and as a sports person, those moments where you're at that point of decision, what advice would you give us? You know, Matthew 11 says that, it talks about when John the Baptist was in prison and um, he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, Jesus, are you the one? Um, you know, and yet we know that John saw the... The, the dove come down, he baptized Jesus, he saw the dove come down, he heard the voice of God, but now he's in prison, 
And he's asking his disciples, go and ask Jesus if he's the one. And so, and I remember that time for me, as I think back in my life at that time, I, I was dropped from the All Blacks in 94, and everything that I wanted to do was get back into the All Blacks again. Every year would come, I'd play to my best, I'd talk to the coaches, they'd tell me to do this, I'd do it, and I won't get selected. Rugby then moved from amateur into professionalism. I was playing some great rugby, and people were telling me, gosh, Ronnie, what have you done to the coach? He's not picking you. I, I have no idea, but I'm trusting God, and I'm going to keep doing what he's called me to do. And so, and so I'm doing this and then in 1998 we're at the all black trials after four years we're at another all black trial and the all black incumbent center doesn't come to the trials and I realized yes it's this is my time surely and so we go to the trials I play I play well and then the next day we're all gathered at the hotel all of the trialists we're gathered in the conference room the all black manager stands up and he says Boys, gentlemen, we're going to name two teams. The first one is going to be the All Black side. Then secondly, the All Black 15 that will leave straight from here to Hamilton to prepare to play against England. And I thought, man, I'm in the All Blacks. I know it, Lord. I know this is going to be great. So he starts to name 15, Christian Cullen, 14, Jeff Wilson, 11, Jonah Lomu. Center, he gets to the centers. He names it somebody else. It's not my name. And I'm sitting there like, ooh, okay, wait, maybe I'm second five. Gets the second five. It's not my name again. And I'm sitting there like, what? Wait, 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 maybe I'm in the reserves. He gets down to the reserves, and I'm not named. And right in that moment, the wind went out of my sails. I just sat there, and I said, God, what's going on? What's happening? I am faithfully doing what you've called me to do, what you've put in my hand, and I've been doing this, and God, and people are telling me that I'm playing really well, and I feel like I'm playing really well, but... Now I'm not even in the team, and so when I said, and I thought, wait, maybe I'm in the starting lineup of the All Black 15 side. He starts naming the All Black 15 side, past the mic, and again I don't hear my name at centre, and this time I hear my name called in the reserves, and I'm sitting there, and there's boys that are celebrating, and I'm sitting there going, "Great God, I'm in the reserve of the reserve team. What's going on?" And I didn't want to get on the bus, and I've been trying for years to. Ignite this dream again to play for the All Blacks, go to a World Cup, everything else. And now I had to get on a bus and go down to Hamilton. And I remember Ciela and the older children were in the car outside waiting to hear that dad was back in the All Blacks again. And I just, I, I just didn't want to get on the bus. I wanted to walk away. I've been trying for so long. I've been faithful in what I've been doing. And now I'm asking God again, what's happening? And so, and so I go and I see Ciala, and then I have to get on the bus because I'm contracted, so I've got to get on the bus. But I'm traveling down to Hamilton, and I, I don't want to go, and I leave Ciala and the kids. And, and just out of rote, I, I grab my word for today, and the heading on the word for today was, get up, get going. <laughs> and I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> really? And so this, and the scripture was from Habakkuk chapter 2, which says that um, though the vision may tarry, wait for it, for it will not tarry. It will surely come. 
And as I'm reading, as I continue to read through the devotion, it's like God was speaking directly to me saying, you were right in the center of my world, Ronnie. You were doing exactly what I called you to do. You go down to Hamilton and you do what I've gifted you to do. And right as I'm sitting there, he's like, God is sitting next to me going, go, son, go. And I'm all of a sudden got this new vigor as I'm realized I'm in the center of God's will. And I'm feeling like, all right, God, whatever it is, let's go, let's go. So I'm down in Hamilton. I'm down in Hamilton, Pastor Mike, and I'm roomed with Tana Umanga. And Tana's, and I knew Tana's another one. He got dropped from the All Blacks too, and we're in that team at that time. And every morning I'd, I'd get up and I'd, I'd, I'd go, I'd, I'd get Tana up, and we'd go to, the, to go to breakfast at training. We'd be training together and doing everything. And then it was really cool and it was so good. As if every morning as I'm spending that time with God, he's just continues to tell me, you're right in the sense of my will, Aroni. And so nothing mattered to me as I knew that I was in the center of his will. It didn't matter now. I was four years now for the All Blacks and I want to get back in. But I'm in the center of his will. And so if I could fast forward a few a number of years after that, that, that incident, I'm at a conference and Tana's the guest speaker. And Tana gets asked the question, the Q&A, and he goes, Tana, who's the hardest center you've ever marked? And Tana goes, oh, Ronnie Clark. <laughs> and I'm sitting in the audience going, yeah, Tana, you know I'm the hardest thing you've ever marked, man. And then, um, and then, he's, then he goes on to say, but, but furthermore, we were in the All Blacks 15 years ago, and um, I don't know where Ronnie would go every morning, but when he comes back, I'm watching him. And I'm watching him every day, each day as we're training. And I watch, and I know, like me, we wanted to get back in the All Blacks again. But as I watched him, there was no disappointment in his face. He's training like the way that he plays. Everything that he does, it completely just hugely encourages me. And then he goes, furthermore, it really put me in good stead to being a good All Black, great All Black captain. And I'm sitting there in their conference room going, oh, Tana, if you had only <laughs> knew what it took for me to get on that bus that day to go down to Hamilton. If you only knew what I was going through at that time, wow, how different what I, and in that moment, God opened my eyes and began to make me realize, son, even at the lowest points of your life and your career, where you've just been doing things so faithfully all that time, that if you continue to do that, that you'll then be able to to fulfill the purposes that I've given you and called you to do. And if I realized in that time that was one of the reasons why God wanted me to go down to Hamilton was to really encourage and understanding Tana as well and seeing, understanding that my life, all our lives as fathers, as men, that we're living a life of influence, that God calls you and I to live a life of influence 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says this, Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph, and through us he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. And it speaks two things for me really clearly. One, that God causes us to triumph. Not sometimes, not every now and then, but always. And that also to the second part, that, that fragrance of who God is, where we are, and the places that we go to, the people that we meet, do that sense that fragrance of God in us? Do they walk away going, wow, who's that guy? There's something about that, that woman that just, just makes you want to smile, you know? And so, and I realized too in that, that time. And so, 
that's when we're going to realize that God really calls us to live a life of influence. And so it was just for Tana, then God, I'm so gay. God, cool, that I obeyed. Um, and I think for me, that's what's really important. You know, three weeks after we were in Hamilton playing for the All Blacks 15, I got a phone call from the All Blacks manager calling us saying, hey, Ronnie, we need you back in the All Blacks again. <laughs> so he does, he, he does, Pastor Mike, that he does cause us. And fathers or men that you're in here, I want to encourage you that sometimes those things that we, you know, we feel like we've been faithfully doing for years, even as fathers in our relationships, I want to encourage you, stay in there. Stay in the fight. God's, God's not left you, and God's not angry. God's not you at all. He's there. And so I think well, I just really want to encourage you, men, our men particularly here, um, whether you're married or not, even our young men growing up too, I had to ask that question, you know, God, that when he asked, said to me, what's in your hand, Aroni? Because so many of us ask that question, God, what's my calling? What's my, what do you want me to do? And I always encourage and people, just start with what's, what God's put in your hand. Start with your gifting. Start there, and it'll just take you from there. And so I want to encourage you too, when you feel like you've been doing it for so long, and you just want to walk away, I want to encourage you to stay, because He's called you to live a life of influence. He will cause you to triumph, but more also too, that the fragrance of who He is will go and spread from you. So I think that's what's really important. It's amazing. Uh, it will be a privilege for you to pray over us, pray over the men. Uh, would you be happy to do that? Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, this morning, that this is one of those Kairos moments in all of our lives where you just say, now. And so, Lord, I pray for each father, each man, young man, older, our, our elders that are in here too, Father. I pray that, God, that, Lord, that you'll continue to instill in all of us, Father, that steel, when we have those fitsies in our lives, that we understand, God, that, Lord, you're building more character, perseverance, and hope in our lives so that we can, when we're going through those times, Lord, where we just want to cry out, why, God? But that, Lord, we would cry out to you, what is it, God? What do you want us to do here in this place? And so, Father, I pray that each man here, God, that you would continue to let them know, Holy Spirit, in your way, that you're there, that you're with them, and that you are for them. And that if, if, if Christ, if you're in us, who can be against us? That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, knowing that, Lord, you work all things together for good. For us who are called according to your purpose, Lord. So, Father, we thank you, Lord. Pray that, God, just this week, that, Lord, that you will just let us all know, Holy Spirit, us men, us boys, but, Lord, also all of us, God. Holy Spirit, in the way that you do, let us know that you're with us this week in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz